We all know that the backcountry is a space where dudes thrive. Sometimes, you know, women can thrive. Other people sometimes thrive, but why don't they thrive? Because it's not always a super inclusive space and it takes effort to make it an inclusive space. And a lot of the times people get ahead of themselves in the backcountry. You can be ski touring with somebody and, you know, they some seem to have a different risk tolerance to you. They don't slow down to talk to you about things. They don't think about your energy levels. And that can make it really challenging for a lot of people to feel safe out there and included and like their well-being is a priority to their partners. And sometimes people get kind of peer pressured in a way into doing things that maybe they shouldn't do. So slowing down and talking about it is crucial. I also know that a lot of people sometimes don't know how to get into the backcountry. I remember when I was younger, like maybe in high school, watching ski movies, you know, hearing about people backcountry skiing. It was like, I never thought it was something that I could do by myself. And then the first time that I moved to New Zealand, I met a bunch of women that took me out ski touring for my first time. And I was like, holy fuck, this is a group of badass women. They were competent, they're educational. They taught me so much about snow safety, um, about how to choose your line, looking for uh, dangers, route planning. We even went over some like first aid stuff. We dug a pit, like it was so good. And the whole day there was no pressure. It was like, I was unfit as hell. I was built for going downhill, not uphill. And I was dying. And they taught me how to do my first kick turn on ice. And the environment made the biggest difference to me feeling comfortable. And I remember that day after meeting them, I was like, I want to be this independent in the backcountry. I want to be a badass bitch in the backcountry. And today, the tutor, the professor on the topic is on the podcast. And she was such a pleasure to talk to. Her name is Tara O'Connor. She is a certified badass. Um, Tara is not only one of the kindest and most thoughtful people that I've ever met, but her history in the industry means that she is a leader in teaching and coaching people to level up their skills and experience. Um, she was absolutely hilarious to talk to today, and she really brings a thoughtfulness to the work that she does that prioritizes people's mental health, their well-being. She checks in on energy levels. I've never seen someone conduct a class or a training course the way that she does. And honestly, I hope I get the chance to meet her one day in person. Um, a bit of background on her. She is an instructor and trainer for ARI, the American, uh, sorry, course leader and instructor trainer for ARI, American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education. She's also an EMT and a raft guide in the summer because she's got to keep up that badassery. Um, and then on top of that, she does some admin work for the IFS kind of on the side when she has heaps of free time because I don't know, she's just out there crushing it. But on top of that, she's kind of defying norms for what it what it means to be a woman in the industry. And, you know, she's proud of who she is. She's proud of her body and she just like shows up authentically. And that's what I would call this episode is authentic. It was really freaking good. And I hope you guys enjoy it. She's a great human being. And I, yeah, it was a pleasure to talk to her. She's probably listening to this and now I'm embarrassed. But yes, she's a great human being. Much value for her. Um, 
If you guys feel so inclined, leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening to this on. I went and read some of them and they honestly made my day. Even if you like don't like us, honestly, the 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 feedback helps us be better. And we know that we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but we love to hear from you guys. And I'm a huge fan. I just see it as data. It's just input on what we can do better. So please leave us a review if you have time to. And we're going to run through some quick messages from our partners quickly. Uh, super grateful for their support. And then we'll dip into the episode. Okay. Thank you to Deuter for being a sponsor of our show. I cannot mention these backpacks without <laughs> telling a hilarious story of a backpack that my dad had from Deuter. And he has, I think, finally gotten it back, but I'm not sure because my mom, my sister, and I all found this backpack to be so comfortable that we took it from him and would often borrow it without necessarily giving it back. And I don't think he saw this pack for years because the rest of us always wanted to hike with it. So that was my intro to Deuter. I have two bags currently from them, one for biking, one for skiing. A uh, couple highlights from those that I love is the Freerider backpacks, opening from the back, ski pack for ski touring. If it does not open from the back, I cannot have it. So that's like one of the single most best qualities of a ski pack is having that back open as well as a separate pack for your Abbey gear that you can easily get to. This pack has both of those super comfy. The other one I have is the flight backpack for biking. I use it almost every day to ride to and from work because it fits all of my lunch and nursing gear and everything when I'm on the bike. And then um, because I have the 14 liter, it's great if I'm doing like a longer day on the trails. So Super comfy, fits really nice on the hips, and uh, Deuter, D-E-U-T-E-R. Go check them out. Winter is coming, and I am excited to be doing some camping in my partner's GoFest Camper pop-up canopy tent. So we need to get our winter kit ready, and that means I have to have some uh, basics in there. One of them is my rumple blanket. You don't know how cold it's going to get. It's good to have that extra a layer of warmth when you get back from ski touring and you're going to camp out for the night. And the other one is the pack towel. Uh, just makes like cleanup easy if I want to like wash my face afterwards. Um, in the summer, if you want to jump into a lake after mountain biking, you're just ready to go. It's lightweight. And on top of that, Rumpel does a really good job of prioritizing sustainability, durability, and also just a cute blanket that you can take with you. Um, they make all of their blankets with the same technical materials in premium outdoor gear and activewear. Uh, they want to introduce the world to better blankets, but also with sustainability, they recycle over 5 million plastic water bottles a year and offset their carbon footprint significantly. They're weather resistant and most importantly, cozy. Um, they're good for the outdoors, the couch, like I said, they're staple in my kit. If you want to jump on it and, uh, grab one for yourself, head to their website and use the code out of bounds for 15% off eligible products. So 686 just dropped this season's new line of snow outerwear. They have a huge range of everything from technical Gore-Tex shells and bibs to steezy vests, puffers, onesies, and full monochrome kits. I love a good Gore-Tex shell, but I also like a cut that's a bit bigger, longer, and has room to layer. Not to mention I'm a certified sucker for a full monochrome kit. Um, 
they have some really rad options that fit all of those criteria. So definitely go check it out at 686.com. Their new line is available to order in both Canada and the USA. Stay steezy, my dudes. My name is Tara O'Connor. Uh, I live in Utah. I'm based out of Utah, but I kind of work all over the West. Um, I work as a course leader and an instructor trainer for ARI. Uh, and then I um, also do admin work for the IFSA, so the International Free Skiers Association. And then I work as a ski and raft guide as well. Um, and then I'm an EMT, which kind of like overlaps all of those jobs. Shit, that's a lot. Also a lot of male dominated industries. So that butt pick must've gotten a lot of people mad. I don't really care. Fuck them. <laughs> Respect. Like at this point in my life, I've, I've pissed off a lot of people uh, and I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm making waves and like I'm creating conversations. And some of these conversations are like 20, 50 years past due. Okay, I was you just said that. I was like, do we just become best friends? Yup, because that's literally what this entire podcast is dedicated towards. I mean, Renee's me meme today was like a direct shot at all pretty much basic bros in the industry. It was just like, oh, my pussy just dried up. Like you're commenting like you're pretty good for a girl. It's like, and yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, what are some of the, okay, wait, Renee, I've had half a beer and not a lot of food. I feel like you need to come in with some pre-questions about like history and backup. And then I'm going to come back in with some of my hard questions, but I think we need to build up with that. And you're really good at those questions. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, let me start off on the ones that I am most interested in, like off the bat is early season. It's a great time to talk about avalanches. So how did you get involved in teaching avalanche courses and becoming a staple in that organization? Uh, by forcing my way in. <laughs> so basically I started out as a recreational skier. Um, I was an East Coast kid. I was really enchanted by big mountains. I moved West. I landed in Colorado first um, at Arapaho Basin. Great big mountain skiing, lots of avalanches. Um, and I started following like a crew of locals around and they started teaching me about avalanches, which was super cool. Um, but then I watched three of them almost get smoked by a huge avalanche, uh, my first winter out West. And so at that point I was like, oh crap, these people that I think are really, really good, like almost just died in front of me. Um, and so at that point, I was like, well, I should probably learn how to make decisions for myself. Um, and so at that point, I had a lot of fear, um, but I still wanted to keep doing it. So I moved up to Jackson Hole the next winter, and um, I started following around the guys and gals from the Jackson Hole Air Force. Um, so they were like this crew of kind of like renegades that would ski out of bounds. And, um, I showed up, I had like big, huge dreadlocks and like, was just a hot mess at like, you know, 20 years old. And they gave me a pair of powder skis and like brought me into Granite Canyon. Um, and so a lot of my early like learning was mentorship, um, and just kind of like learning from observing, um, and being out there, just putting miles in. And then 
with time, I eventually got like an Avi one because that was like something you kind of did back then after you had like a few years experience. Um, and so I got that going. And then with only an Avi one, I got invited to go up to Alaska and work for a heli ski company, um, which was really cool. I got to go observe some different snowpacks um, and really learn from people who professionally, you know, knew so much and were able to teach me so much. Um, and then kind of kept doing that for about a decade, competed a little bit, um, and then decided to start ski patrolling because I wasn't going to stop skiing. So I did that for years, got really interested. I feel like in ski patrol, you kind of go one of two ways. You kind of either veer towards medical um, or you kind of get more interested in snow. And so I, I wanted to go the snow route and kind of dove into that full time. And then 2020 came around uh, and, you know, all the ski areas had been shut down and I wasn't really sure like if they were going to stay open for the whole season the next year. And I like, I, I'm an adult. I have adult bills to pay. I'm single. I live by myself. So I like needed to um, basically guarantee income. And that was kind of when I made the switch full time to teaching avalanche classes because I was like, okay, I can work outside. Um, so I know like my classes aren't going to get canceled and yeah, it, I mean, honestly, it's given me a lot more flexibility and, you know, a lot more financial freedom. Um, I definitely miss aspects of patrolling, but, um, I don't miss aspects of it as well. I noticed that you said that you did your Abby one after having a couple of years experience. And I feel like these days that's less so the course of action. And I guess since you're the one literally teaching this course, when would you now suggest that people take that, that part piece of your avalanche education? Because it, would it be the same to how you did it? Or would you say people should take it right at the beginning? Cause that is kind of where people are, are saying now and, and kind of how I personally feel about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm veering more towards the beginner. I think that, you know, you should teach good habits from the beginning. Um, and so, you know, the sooner to starting your backcountry kind of like adventures that you can do an avalanche class, I think the better. Um, I do think that if you're going to take a full AVI one, that you should be proficient in like putting on your equipment and moving in it. Um, so, you know, some guide services will offer like an intro to backcountry or even just like going out, like touring on forest service roads or like kind of groomed ski trails um, so that you're at least proficient in your movement. You don't have to be an expert. We're not, you know, going at extreme uh, paces or lengths for an AVI one, but, you know, you need to be comfortable getting your gear on and off, et cetera. Um, but you know, besides that, I think you can honestly do one as soon as possible, because I think the sooner, you know, about the hazards that you may encounter, the safer you'll be. And like Abby one's not just for skiers either, like Correct. snowmobilers take Abby one, ice climbers take Abby one, snowshoers take Abby one. So it's not just skiing, but if you are 
going to be touring, I guess, good to know how to get in and out of walk mode because your job is to teach avalanche courses, I would think, not guide someone how to use their risers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that certainly has played into it a lot more in the last few years. Uh, but I think that, you know, if you want to start with like an AVI awareness, um, that's a great place to start. So you can start to get an understanding. But, you know, we are trying to figure out like how we reach those people that wouldn't typically you know, seek out an Avi one. There was a horrible accident last year in Colorado where two snowshoers and their dog were killed in an avalanche. Um, and it's like, well, how do we get that message across to these people that literally just were going for a dog walk, you know? Um, and so I think having more community avalanche awareness, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, Avi one recognizing that like, especially if you're like a climber, a snowshoer or motorized, I recommend like looking for a group that is maybe tailored to that experience because I think you can get so much more out of it. You know, a D1 um, to your normal snowboarder, skier, even motorized user um, isn't typically very consequential unless you're in extreme terrain. Uh, but a D1 to an ice climber can be fatal. So, you know, just recognizing the difference um, in user types and, and that they're all out there. Yeah, I almost wonder, too, for snowshoers, mm -hmm. snowshoers are people who probably hike in the summer, at which case you can go up a trail and it's pretty well set out if you're hiking, not necessarily scrambling or anything. So the awareness of there being danger might not be so ingrained. Whereas I wonder like skiing, most people start out skiing and not so much anymore because some people are starting out in the backcountry. but you start out on resort where there is some kind of awareness of avalanches because there are signs around the resort that say closed for avalanche risk, or you hear the shots go off and, and maybe you see like a place where there has been an avalanche that's ran through there, whether that was natural or man-made or like you maybe have some in your like back of your conscious ex like exposure to avalanches that maybe you carry forward. And a lot of people straight up don't. I know it's a patroller. People just don't think about that stuff. But I, I kind of wonder if that's in the public, like where that comes from of just not actually having exposure as a hiker if you aren't a skier. Yeah, I mean, it's the old Dunning-Kruger, like you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, I mean, we have some really cool hiking trails in Utah that, um, you know, the road cuts on them have been fatal um, to snowshoers. And it's just like, they go up at all summer. It's like one of their favorite hikes. And then they decide to go up whatever Christmas week with their family for a walk and then they get smoked. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely like one of those things where um, they're just having a good time and they don't even realize the hazard exists. Um, I think, I mean, ultimately I know that's why Utah Avalanche Center came up with a no before you go program um, was back in 2004, four boys were killed in an avalanche um, and they like looked at all the messaging, all the hazard ratings that they put out for the day. And, you know, 
basically they were like, we don't have a forecasting problem. We have a messaging problem and, you know, we're not getting the messaging out. Um, and it's still a push 18 years later, you know, like how do we get that message out? And, you know, we're doing a, different forest services are doing expanded trailhead signages across uh, the mountain West. I know sometimes like CDOT and UDOT will put like warnings on the highway flashers and stuff. Um, so, you know, I think that people, are, and then of course, news services will put out avalanche warnings and hazards, but you know, really it's a messaging issue. It's like, how do we get this messaging across to people? Um, and I think we're trying, but you know, it's also part of like the dirty little secret, right? You don't want like, everyone who's coming to ski to be like terrified for their life. Otherwise you're not going to have business. Yeah. Do you think that like, um, we've had other episodes where we've talked about gatekeeping information, mm -hmm. like gatekeeping knowledge. And it's kind of like this elitist culture around being an expert as well. And I feel like anybody that has experience or knowledge, not anybody, but lots of people that have experience and knowledge in like snow science, avalanche safety, all that kind of stuff. There's kind of this like, you can't sit with us. Like, I'm not going to share this with you vibe a little bit when it comes to like talking to noobs. It's like, you're right. It is a messaging problem, but messaging could be seen as like a cultural problem as well in a way. Yeah. Cause you know, it's, it is a like communication and language and yeah, all absolutely. that kind of stuff is a facet of culture. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of big personalities. There's a lot of intimidating personalities. Um, you know, and, and I think that I, I'm lucky in that, like, I'm just brash and like push my way into like where I want to be. Uh, but not everyone's that way. And so, you know, figuring out like who you can ask for information and like where you can go is like part of the issue. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm doing like a women's mentorship program with Ari right now, and it's super awesome because it's like, okay, we're creating connections with women who want to be avalanche educators, um, and we're, you know, trying to um, eliminate some of this gatekeeping because the reality is that it is still an issue, um, and yeah, I mean, I think that as much as I would like to say that I'm probably not part of it, like I may come across that way just because I'm like so busy or distracted or whatever. Um, and so I think opportunities like where we can invite mentorship and like be like, okay, like I want to welcome you into this space and share this knowledge. Like those are really important. Um, and especially like inviting it in a structured way, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, like, one of the, like Womb Tang, for example, mm -hmm. we came up with a campaign. It's like trying is hot. It's like there's yeah. kind of this feeling that so many girls have that really segregates and ostracizes them where like they're not good enough so they don't belong and they shouldn't try. They shouldn't go ski with people, like all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting that like the communication across the industry and across like friend groups as a whole has taught them that. So when it comes to changing that, it takes perseverance and awareness of every aspect of what you're putting out there relative to communications, like content, like uh, visuals, sounds, like captions, everything. Like they cannot be exclusive to being an expert because we thought we were doing it really well, but then we got feedback recently that 
there's still people that are like, oh, I'm not good enough to go to a womb tang event. Like I can't, I can't do that. And I was like, the, the fact that people feel that way, that they don't belong is really upsetting. And it's like, I think the industry has just positioned. And I mean, if you think about like the Tanner Hall days, like where they're like the Mac daddies, like the core crew that were just absolutely shredding on the screen. And you're like, okay, these are experts. The industry is telling me that in order to be like in this space, I need to be an expert, right? Mm -hmm. It's literally been ingrained in the, since the beginning. Um, so I guess to like change that, it takes so much effort. And it, it if you do have any level of status, there is a chance that you will naturally kind of like create that impression with people. So it's just when it comes to snow, like avalanche safety and avalanche awareness, like that's definitely like a bottleneck that has serious consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think gatekeeping of information of any type is really consequential um, and can have negative impacts all around. Um, so I, I wonder, think it's super important to, you know, keep that open. I wonder, like, this is just something I just thought of just now. And maybe you guys can tell me if you think this is a good idea or a stupid idea, because it is just like a thing that popped into my brain. <laughs> no, you verbal vomit that shit. We love ideas spelling. Go, go, go. <laughs> like, I'm wondering if even something as simple, and I feel like there's a reason that resorts don't necessarily want to be putting stuff like this out there, but saying something like the avalanche condition or the avalanche um, forecast in the Alpine today is considerable. Therefore, it's going to take us a few hours to open the Alpine when we have safely secured our inbounds areas to any potential avalanche hazards due to the current like XYZ. Like, obviously, resorts are not going to post that because they have their own things that they're managing, but something like that would be so good at communicating your specific area that you ski in what's going on in it and like I don't know where that would have to come from that people yeah. would see it but like people are checking their resorts Facebook or Instagram or whatever like they're looking to see what's going on there and resorts are trying to hype up the conditions but if there's a way to have like patrol knows this information they go through it every single day and there is a forecast done by your head forecaster at every single resort for every single day based on how fast the winds went overnight how much snow you had like but none of that gets actually communicated to the recreationalist you know I think you'd have to take so it one step further Renee and like make sure that the language that you're using is relative to that person because any of those technical terms are going to fall in dead ears or they're going to turn off because they don't know what's going on. So that also, would be like another facet of it. They're not going to say that in the U.S. because of liability. Oh, right. Um, you can sue anybody for anything down there. So, you know, basically around here, like we're even moving from calling it avalanche. So avalanche control was done away with years ago. Then it went to avalanche mitigation. Now it's avalanche reduction because you can reduce the hazard, but you can't mitigate or control it. And this is all legalese that has come down from lawsuits in the US. It's basically people getting caught inbounds in avalanches and then their family or whoever suing the ski areas. 
And then this is what's decided in court. In the United States, you are not protected from avalanches inbounds. It is an inherent risk of skiing. And so therefore, they cannot say that they have, you know, opened the area safely, because then if an avalanche does occur, then they have falsely stated the safety conditions, you know, so that's kind of like the nonsense that like we deal with uh, as employees of a ski area, if you will, working in the avalanche field is like this, this weird uh, kind of, yeah, we're causing avalanches, avalanches are out here, but like, we're just reducing, you know, like, it's just like, shh, like we can't talk about it but you know yeah. like this is what's happening that's really so when you um i'm just like flashing back to my business law class but like <laughs> in canada when you go to a ski resort you have to sign a waiver when you get your ticket or when you get your season's pass that basically waives any like uh what's it called liability oh liability uh that the, the the ski hill would have if you become injured like you cannot sue them after that because you're making that decision of your own accord right um so that's not a thing in the states they can still sue i mean we have those waivers um and just some doesn't state, stop people yeah it doesn't stop people you right. know like if you drive down i-70 in colorado there's billboards of lawyers who are telling you to sue the ski areas so you know it's big business shit america yeah america. so yeah. america i i couldn't tell you the last time i saw a billboard for a lawyer yeah, yeah. uh on my road trip through america actually yeah. Yeah. probably multiple yeah. <laughs> but not in canada it's not a thing here i know and like that's kind of like one of the shitty parts about all this is like you know legalese like binds some of what we can say and do and it's like well you know in canada and switzerland they can do this and that and it's like well yeah but here in america where the almighty dollar the lawyer wins oh yeah so. i've had i've had american patients before in the hospital and the minute they're like well, we're going to sue this hospital and blah, blah, blah. I just chuckle and I'm like, okay, you try. Like, yeah. good luck to you. <laughs> good on <But>. you. Like, <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> Joke's on you. Like, do you remember that famous lawsuit where I think it was like a McDonald's case or something like that where a lady in the States got given a hot coffee yes. and the lid wasn't on and she got like serious burns? In Canada, to mitigate that, they put a warning on the cup that said, like, hot coffee. And that's enough to not get sued. Yeah. I mean, Which is I, hilarious. It's just, like, Canada is so simple in that context where America is just, like, freedom, opportunity. I can make a dollar off your suffering. Hello. Good morning. Well, yeah, because how much did that lady have to pay in healthcare bills for this? Probably a shit ton. But she got a ton. Like, a ton, a ton of, of money. money. It was ridiculous. Anyway, I don't want to talk about McDonald's cups. That's not the point. That's <laughs> it was it was emphasizing how stupid America is with some of this shit. No, <laughs> but it thank really you. is. Like it's it's frustrating as anything. Like as an employee, as you know, you're like, what the hell? Like we can't communicate. I don't want to say honestly, but like you openly. can't. 
the the language the language that you use can be damning in that type of situation it's a like I work uh, fuck Renee okay everybody who's listening to our podcast knows that Renee hates when I go on marketing (laughs) tangents now but like you can change like one word and it changes the entire like context of what you're saying and how it's applicable and who it resonates with like language is really important in that facet and when it comes to um yeah any type of like legal aspect it definitely can put you in a a liable situation where you do i can't even remember the words right now fuck but you get what i'm saying but it's just really frustrating when you know like you're like you mentioned before it's not an information like like a forecasting problem it's a communications problem it's like the information is not reaching the right people so how do you frame the information in a way that is not going to make you liable and is also going to be impactful and what are the channels to get it to these people because from my experience talking to people that are snowshoers or are not involved in the ski industry I mean there still are people in the ski industry like my experiences in Japan were honestly mind-blowing with how little knowledge there were of the fact that you're in mountains to get 22 meters of annual snowfall and fluctuating temperatures, like do not go out there without a transceiver <laughs> or like any experience, but that was not a thing. But it's just like, uh, those people honestly don't know anything about it. It's just a beautiful snowy day. And that's so dangerous. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like if I could get people to feel that way and feel that it's a beautiful snowy day and then just like, take that moment, enjoy it, but then put on like your detective eyes and do like a 360 spin and like, just take a look around and see. And I feel like people don't do this enough in life in general, but like do a 360 spin, like look at the environment you're in, look what's above you, below you, next to you, like see what's around. Um, And, you know, I think in our busy lives, like we forget to do that in general, but I think it's even more important in the mountains. Um, And so, you know, I, like, I don't think that like avalanche uh, work or backcountry travel has to be stressful. I think sometimes it is. Um, But I think that, you know, the majority of the time it should be just really enjoyable, like being out there, enjoying nature, breathing deep, like laughing hard. Um, And if you take that initial kind of time to look around to see what kind of situation you've put yourself in then the rest of your day can be fun yeah and I think that backcountry travel is such a good chance for collaboration and Mm. like it's something that I've talked to a lot of groups that I'm in about but if I'm the slowest on the skin track which happens for sure I want people to wait for me when we get to the next natural point where we're choosing a path so that I still have a say that's like, okay, we're going to go and we're going to gain that bench and we're going to follow this bench. And then we're going to make the next decision when we reach this point. And so that I still have a chance to say, yes, I agree with this plan. Or have you thought about this? What does our group think about crossing this slope? Do we want to create a distance between each other of this far? And that's like kind of the next step in talking about all this is like, I guess like group dynamics. Is there a part of like avalanche courses that you teach that really gets into that? Yeah, absolutely. So what you just described, I call the fuck you stop. Um, so like, I just have you... to say, I love your attitude. I'm just going <laughs> to interject there, but continue. I love this. Keep going. So like, 
if you are the last person, the slowest person, and you get to a point and then the group takes off without consulting you, giving you a moment to rest, asking your decision, then that was a fuck you stop. They just said, fuck you. And, you know, that's how I look at it. They just said, I don't care about the fact that you're tired. I don't care about what your thoughts are. I don't care about what you have to say. And I don't care about you helping to make this decision. That was just a fuck you stop. So I try to teach all of my students not to do that. Um, You know, the person at the back probably is going slow because they're not as in good of shape as you. Maybe they're taking pictures. Maybe they had to pee. Who knows? But like, give them a moment to catch their breath and get their heart rate down. Like, give them that moment, respect that, and then give them that moment once they've had time to, like, get their bodily functions in order to think. Because you can't think if, like, you don't have your body together first. So you have to get your heart rate down. You have to, like, have a sip of water, and then you can start making decisions and contributing to the conversation. But, like, yeah, if they don't do that, then they just said, fuck you. And I don't want to go with people that tell me, fuck you. I want to go with people that like respect me and make me a part of the group. (laughs) You are literally telling my life story right now. Like (laughs) I am the victim of so many fuck you stops. So many. (laughs) (laughs) Last year, we, I went on a trip to Fairy Meadows Hut for like a week with, um, a big group of people that are all like ex-professional ski racers and like super gnarly mountaineers. And I had three days of ski touring under my belt that season because I was in a deep state of like autistic burnout. And like we were up there and um, the first day that we had was not too bad. The second day was like unbelievably grueling. They had zero chill. They were not waiting for us. And they got to like the top of like the first kind of uh, I guess zone that we were climbing and they were there for about 15 minutes, maybe like 10 minutes waiting for us. And the second we pulled up, they started putting on all their stuff to take off again. Yeah. And I was fucking livid. And then halfway up the next part of the glacier, I ended up having a meltdown from oh, sensory I've overload. I did. I had a full meltdown and I had to go down and I was like, I can't handle this. And then the next day it was just like going to be like that again. It's like, I didn't even want to go. And I paid thousands of dollars to be on this trip and it was complete bullshit. And we were sitting there and I was like, you know, you guys could like make an effort to wait for us at the top. It doesn't have to be that objective focused or maybe we need to divide into groups. And one of the girls on the trip was like, well, you know, it's just really hard to like, I interrupted her. I was like, it's not. It's really not. You want to know what's hard is me pushing through about to pass out because my heart rate's so high and you can't give me a minute to catch up. That's hard. Yeah. You waiting? Not hard. Yeah. And everybody just went quiet at dinner and I was like, oh, fuck. It was like, I'm stuck in a hut with these people and I can't leave. I was like, oh, no. no." But I'm happy I said something. I am too. Like, I'm proud of you because that's not easy. And like, it does. Like, it creates awkward situations. But the reality is that, you know... When people group up, awkward situations can happen no matter what. You need to have those awkward talks when you're not in the backcountry, when you're not standing on top of a slope. And like, you know, if it takes like pointing shit out in the parking lot and being like, I'm not comfortable with this and like, that's not okay, then like have those weird talks ahead of time because otherwise like... Like I said, I've ended up crying before out of like frustration because I'm like, I don't know how to make these people understand. And like, that's not a good day for me or for them. 
And, you know, so at this point, like, I, I like cross my T's, I dot my I's, I like ask all sorts of weird shit before we go out. I'm like, I like to pee a lot on the drive there because I drink coffee. Are you okay if I stop to go pee three times? Like, you know, like all sorts of, like, I will literally tell them like what color underwear I'm going to be wearing that day because you're going to see it when I'm dropping trowel to take my coffee shit. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I literally made a joke about online dating yesterday with my coworker. I was like, we almost need like a preliminary survey. It's like, yeah. can you fill out this survey? And it's like, oh, sorry, you didn't pass. We're not going skateboarding. Yeah. It's pretty much the exact same thing. Like, what's your risk tolerance? Like, are you okay with this? Like, I'm probably going to overshare a lot because my heart rate's going and I don't have a filter and how comfortable are you with uncomfortable questions? Cool, cool, cool. Let's go. Um, but also hearing you say that you've had those moments with your level of experience and knowledge is really relatable. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I, I still like get frustrated with coworkers and people that are my peers. You know, I, last winter, I had a situation where like, I, broke down one night and I was like, are we in a teaching course or are we in a ski guide course? Because like, I feel like the objective is climbing big mountains and skiing them. And I thought the objective was teaching and like, you know, I had to like verbalize that to the group. Um, and yeah, it was like uncomfortable because I was like the only non AMGA person in the group, but like, I was like, hi, what mindset are we in? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Those, those moments are like not easy. I, I, I guess I thought they would go away once I got more experience, but they haven't, like they still keep happening. And, um, you know, just unfortunately, like saying it out loud is part of the solution because people can't read your mind. They don't know when you're uncomfortable. Um, and unless you're like showing outward visible signs of struggle, like I do when I cry, <laughs> um, then like they aren't going to know right away that like something is wrong. They may know that like you're slower and behind, but they may not know like the resentment or the uh, mental barriers that are like building up in your mind. This makes me like, I feel like this is like a good segue into the fact that that aspect of like not speaking up, not saying when you're uncomfortable and suffering through that, I honestly think that is like a core attribute of toxic masculinity in this space. No. 120 it fucking percent. It's like, I honestly see it so much in my partner's friend group. It's like, like even up on that, that trip. And I mean, he's probably listening to this right now because he's in the other room. Um, but he was like, I'm exhausted and I don't want to go today. And then like everybody's putting their hands up to do this really gnarly long objective in the morning. And he was just like, oh, fuck, all my male friends put their hands up. And now like he like put his hand up and I was like, what are you doing? Like you, yeah. you're, you don't feel good. You're exhausted. You don't really want to do it, but all your friends are doing it. So you're going to do it, which is honestly like, Honestly, I feel like toxic masculinity is like, oh, my friends are going to jump off a bridge. Oh, yeah, I'll do it too, bro. Like that's kind of, you know. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just... that, that's it. I mean, and oh, what I was going to say about that is I think not speaking up is also a safety hazard because if you get all the way to the top 
And then you have that mental break where like now you're in tears or now you're just so exhausted because it wasn't actually a good idea for you to go out that day. You're now becoming a liability to your group, whether it's their fault for not listening to you or your fault for not speaking up because now you're compromised in either your mental clarity or your physical ability for getting down the mountain. And that's not fair to you or to your group. And it's from everybody involved. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. It's like a whole group collective amount of fault for not having good communication. Yeah. I mean, it's a communication breakdown. Like ultimately in the backcountry, it's, all about teamwork and communication. Like those two things will keep you safe. Um, and but the problem is that we're people, right? So like we're not always honest with ourselves to begin with. Um, and then we like throw in group dynamics and things get even weirder. Um, and so yeah, it's like super interesting for me because when I like look at a day in the backcountry. Um, I wake up in the morning, the mountain tells me very quickly, like what I need to know, you know, it's, it's pretty simple, honestly, it's, it's an easy story to read, uh, the weather, the wind, the snow, it all comes together, it tells me a story, it tells me what I need to know. For me every day, the hard part is the people, like, they are wild out there and like trying to figure out what they're going to say or do, or like how well they know themselves. Um, and then like how honest they are with themselves, like that is, that is like a whole nother level of chaos. And for me, that's like the hard part is like trying to put those pieces together and like figure out the unpredictability of humans. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're nuts. They are nuts. We <laughs> literally are walking contradictions. We make no sense. Like a lot of people don't realize that you cannot actually separate logic from emotional reasoning. And the decisions that you make can be impacted by associations and biases in your brain that you aren't even aware of. Like I, I literally was having a conversation with my colleague about this on the drive home yesterday because I told a doctor that, that was like volunteering with the team at work that, you know, like, I didn't tell him it, but I just like mentioned I was autistic because I got into a political debate and the other person was getting upset. And I was like, well, there might be a bit of a miscommunication here because I'm autistic and you might think I'm being rude, but I'm not. <laughs> and then it got easier after that. But then he just completely like discredited me and devalidated me. And I was like, like he was like, I have 60 years of experience practicing. And I was like, so what? So fucking what? The scientific method is not flawless because of human bias. Anytime there's a human involved, there is inherent bias. You cannot remove it. Yeah. You cannot. Yeah. Cannot. People are out there. They're making decisions. They've got emotions flying. They might have a bias about the person that's speaking up because they have a certain identity aspect that they're not even aware of. Like, I know, like, for myself, I've had so many wake-up calls lately about... I don't know. I'm actually really uncomfortable in the backcountry because there's so many variables that you cannot be a hundred percent certain on. Like no matter what, something could still happen. Right. And it's like, that is really hard for me. And I feel like when I express my anxiety or I'm like, I'm not comfortable going up there, people kind of roll their eyes and I'm like, well, you're being dramatic. Like we did all this stuff. And I was like, I don't, I'm not comfortable taking the risk. And I think part of me masking my 
autistic traits is pretending to be chill with everything and easygoing. I'm not actually an easygoing person. Like if you ask Renee, I'm really not. Um, so I don't know. I, yeah, but there's think, always going to be human bias somewhere in there. I think part of that too is like, because I have realized now that like I am a person that has to verbalize how I'm feeling uh, to be able to work through it. And so like I get scared in situations that I choose to put myself in. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to ski that line or, you know, raft that river or climb that peak. It just means that I need to verbalize out loud that I'm scared. And that freaks some people out. Like hearing me say that I'm scared, I've watched it happen. I've watched it freak other people out. Um, and so, you know, like now I have that conversation with people. If I'm going to do something epic with them, I'm like, hey, if if I'm going to get scared, I'm going to talk about it. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it, but like that's part of my process. Um, and and I had to learn that through seeing what uh, verbalizing my fear did to others. So yeah, because yeah. you're supposed to be the expert. They're probably like. Oh, fuck. Shit. Shit. We're all fucked. Damn it. Like, oh my God. (laughs) But it's like, it's like, it's totally like holding space for those feelings because they are valid. Yeah. And they're there. But people are just like, no, I got to be tough. I got to like, and they're like, oh, she's scared. Like, and then they check in with themselves, like, maybe I'm scared. (laughs) And it's just like, and then it's this whirlpool of an emotional dumpster fire. And it's just like, no, we just need to, everybody just needs to go to therapy, you know? Yeah. We just need to get comfortable with their feelings (laughs) and I mean that's a lot of it is like you know I I had PTSD I had to go through like EMDR and therapy and like all this shit and basically like had to start naming my feelings um and like Mm, yes we do this (laughs) we Uh, do this in therapy (laughs) I literally yeah sorry keep going no so like all these things that like I had internalized and like just kind of like made my body electric for years like finally I could find a way to like dissipate that electricity and be like okay I can ground myself by naming it (laughs) okay so maybe that's a hot tip that comes from today to be more proficient and safe in the backcountry and make better educated decisions y'all need to go to therapy y'all need to deal with the emotional part of your reasoning because it's not all logic based and like Oh, another well, reason why therapy's hot. I feel like we need to do just like a, every, a post about this. Every no. single episode, we're like talking about therapy and how good therapy is. Therapy's the shit. Like, damn. Just normalizing therapy every single day. But like the more that you can be honest with yourself, the safer you will be in the backcountry. Because the more that you can honestly assess your own biases and like, we're never going to be perfect because we're human. Just like you said, we will inevitably have those biases. But like knowing that, you know, you are influenced by certain people like, oh, if I go out with so and so, I'm going to let them talk me into a bad decision or, you know, like. And, and that's okay in some situations. Like, you're allowed to have those friends uh, that, like, talk you into doing crazy shit. But, like, don't let them talk you into crazy shit if you're going to die from it, if that's not what you want. You know, like. It's like crack. Do it for the gram. It's like yeah. crack, you know. Don't How even just do bad. it once, you know. How bad do you want the gram? 
How bad do you want the shot? You oh, don't. man. You don't. That's yeah, the answer. Know. You don't want the shot that bad. <laughs> it's not good for you, man. It's not. It's not. Oh, my God. But, like, I have an analogy that, like, I use in my avalanche classes. And, like, we all have, like, that friend, like, after a day of skiing, we, like, see them at the bar at the base. And we, like, high five them. And we're like, bro, what's up? And, like, throw your hands up and, like, chest bump and have the best time ever. And then, like, maybe smash a beer on your head. But, like, and they're super fun to see. And, like, you're going to introduce your friends from out of town to them. But, like, you don't bring that person to your grandma's birthday party. And, like, same with, like, some of the people that you go skiing with. Like, some of those people are super rowdy and super fun. And, like, you want to, like, smash beers and hut cliffs inbounds. But, like, you don't necessarily want to go ski out of bounds with them because they're that way out of bounds, too. Like, I don't know. You have different friends for different occasions. And, like, I think that also applies to backcountry skiing. That's a great analogy. It's like, I'm not going to introduce them to grandma, but shit, let's go party later. Yeah. And that's totally like, I always refer to my skiing in the backcountry. It's like, I ski like a grandma. Yeah. The way that I ski inbound, it's like I see Re- Renee huck something. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to do that. But totally. in the backcountry, I'm like, no, thank you. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> so it's like, you know, sometimes you got to slow down and just yeah. approach things differently. Um, I mean, I don't ski at 100% in the backcountry because one – that's a quick way to get hurt. Like, you know, you, you just can't, it's, it's uncontrolled terrain. Um, you're also responsible for your own rescue. If you get hurt back there, you may have help, but it's never guaranteed. Um, and then, yeah, just like the third part of that is like, I always leave at least 30 or 40% in the tank in case I have to do a rescue for someone else at the end of the day. That is such a great tip. Yeah, it's a different sport. I think that's like what it comes down to is it's, it's a different type of skiing entirely. And you can't, you can't approach it in the same way. Yeah, I love gassing myself out in bounds, like going bell to bell, raging hard, like rubber legs. That's so fun. No stop laps. Yeah, that's so fun. But that is not how I ski when I'm in the backcountry. And like, I don't think I could do it for a long time if I did ski that way. Like I plan on doing this the rest of my life. So, you know, I'm going to take it slow and mellow and just like milk those beautiful powder turns in a meadow. Fuck. Yeah. I need some powder turns in a meadow. Yeah. I need that real bad. Um, Okay. I want to talk about just briefly because like, Man, people didn't even get to hear the majority of our conversation about like butt pics and being a chick in the industry. But like you came into this industry probably when there weren't a lot of women doing what you're doing. No. Yeah. No. (laughs) That was like a solemn no. That was like I've seen some shit. No. (laughs) Like like you like you're like, fuck you. But you like it must have taken you some time to get to that point as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's a lot of battles, like some jobs, some friends, um, probably some reputation. Like I, yeah, I, I've always been loud. I've always stood up for myself um, and for others. I think that that has just always kind of been a part of my personality. Um, But yeah, seeing the differences in 
how men and women were treated at work, um, how, you know, we were treated everywhere <laughs> was really infuriating and like pissed me off. And I wouldn't can shut I, up about it. <laughs> can I ask like if you're comfortable sharing, if not, like if it brings up stuff, that's totally okay too. But like, yeah. what were some of the differences that you noticed? I mean, just even things as simple as like, going on avalanche routes. Like I came in with experience and education to ski patrolling. Um, but you know, men that were younger than me that didn't have that experience that didn't have that education were being pulled to go on avalanche routes ahead of me, like to the point where they noticed and said stuff to me. They're like, why am I like, I'm sick today. I don't even want to go do this. Why aren't they taking you? You have more experience. You have more education, you know, stuff like that. Um, so like really limiting my opportunities as an avalanche worker, um, you know, there's definitely, I think in patrol, there's a cool kids club for a lot of stuff. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily like male versus female, but like, it's definitely a boys club. So yeah. And you know, I, I don't, I don't play those games and I call. And so like that immediately kind of put me on the outs um, because I called it out. Like I saw it and that like pissed people off. But did it, like, I mean, I guess if you're constantly the person that's, like, ringing the bell and you're kind of like, you know, this shit's fucked. People get mad about it. But then eventually somebody listens and it creates change. Like, yeah. did that happen? Like, did you end up having allies that kind of helped you create that change? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I have had those allies throughout um, the years. You know, it. it's been, I would say difficult in the moment but like looking back on it all it's all come around the way it was supposed to I don't think it's easy like you said to be ringing the bell to be like causing a scene to be you know kicking up these fights like some of these moments were extremely traumatic um, and painful but in hindsight I'm glad I did it because it's put me in a better place for all of it, professionally, personally, all of that. Like, ultimately, I've learned, like, the spaces that I belong are the ones that support me in this chaos. Like, the ones that support me kicking up and, like, being like, no, I'm not okay with this. They're the ones that are going to help me change this industry. They're the ones that are going to, you know, support women and, you know, people of color and disabled people and trans people, you know, make more of more spaces for themselves here. Um, and so, you know, the people that are, like, criticizing and poo-pooing, like, maybe this is me being Pollyanna, but I'd like to think that they're going to be left in the dust and like pretty inconsequential in 10 years. Like preach, preach. <laughs> it's literally keep up or fuck off. But in like, yeah. a like you need to grow, you need to do yeah. some personal work and go to therapy. Like, yeah, fuck. Not, <laughs> yeah. not the fuck you wait, wait. The, yeah. No, it's like the hi. I realize you're you not a bad wait, person. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it's like I realize you're probably not a bad person, but society has taught you some very harmful belief systems and you are applying them in this situation. So I'm going to give you a chance to fix yourself or fuck off. But, you know, like no hard feelings, but also fuck you. But get your shit together. Thank you very much. 
Well, and that's like hard. Like I, you know, I've had to unlearn so much stuff. I'm still unlearning so much stuff. Like, I mean, the U.S. public school system is basically like propaganda central. Like, <laughs> it's like insane. And so yeah, we you all know, are. Yeah. So it's like taking these situations um, and then like actually taking the time to like learn about other people and other voices. Like I grew up extremely privileged in upper, you know, middle-class white family that I grew up skiing. Like, you know, I have a lot of privilege. I certainly have struggle in my life as well. But, you know, the reality is that I was raised in this very white bread, you know, world. So I've had to unlearn a lot. And like I said, I'm still doing it. Um, I think that's like where people maybe are missing the point. It's like, you don't have to change who you are or like anything else, you just need to open your eyes and learn more about other people. Yes, 100%. And I love what you said there about like, like you're like, I have struggled, but I also know that I was privileged. And a lot of people think that privilege is synonymous with life without struggle. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. Like you can struggle, but the fact like privilege is about how different facets of your identity that you did not choose have given you a step up in society purely because of the way that you look, your sexuality, your gender, your race, like your like whether you're able-bodied, whether you're neurotypical, like all those kinds of things. And people don't realize that things are not as easy for people that struggle with those. That's why like intersectionalism when looking at these different facets of identity are real it's really important and just kind of unpacking exactly as you said. It's like you just need to educate yourself. It's like I was um, when a, an audiobook I'm listening to right now. Honestly, I want to punch the narrator in the throat. She's really fucking annoying, but she's had a couple bangers. Um, her voice is just so like, like, and then I'm like, yo, chill out. This is like not that hot of a moment. Um, but she had a really good point. She was like, everybody naturally categorizes things around them. Our life and our existence is literally bound to labels. But everybody's like, labels are like bad. Like, I don't see color. Like, I don't see disability. Like, I don't see any of those things. And it's like, stop pretending that you don't label things. You yeah. buy brands. You do this. You do this. You do this. Labels are not harmful, but they are harmful when they're used by uneducated and uninformed people, period. Yeah. I mean, labels are normal. That's like how we kind of like differentiate things in our lives, you know? I mean, you it's go into we the know dairy a pumpkin section. from an apple. Exactly. Like, you go into the dairy section, you've got marbled cheese, old cheese, like all these kind of things. Like people are kind of the same. We all have different experiences. And like those experiences do, do not have to be. You even need to eat dairy. You shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't because it'll literally blow out your asshole. But it's worth I it. can. You shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I am lactose intolerant. Hello, world. Oh, perfect. I really enjoy that you cut in at that moment. I don't need to tell stories that we have of me witnessing that violence. But whew, yeah, good thing there's meds for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But yeah. I actually like the concept of like speaking up and changing things when when that like when that stuff went down with the doctor at, at work this weekend, I was really upset. And I like, I was upset that I showed that I was upset, even though I had every right to be upset about it. And um, the next, like I went home and like, I couldn't sleep. Like I cried in the shower. Like I like, I was not okay. Like it was really hard for me. 
and I couldn't let it go. I was perseverating on it, but that's also part of being autistic. And I was like speaking on the way home about like what I wanted to say to him, but I couldn't do it in the moment because I was so overwhelmed with my emotions and just like how disrespectful it was. And then the next day, like uh, one of the head coaches came up to me and he was like, sup ladies. I was like, I like you, this is dope. And then he was like, I just want to let you know that like, I don't know what happened last night, but it's been dealt with, like you belong. That's not appropriate and it will never happen again. And I was just like, holy shit. And then like someone else came up to me and I was just like, like one of the people sitting next to me, they, they said something. And it's like, it wasn't on me to advocate for myself or for me to try and make myself safe. Somebody else helped make me safe. And that is like, I think what's really powerful is because sometimes in those moments, like when we are being, I don't know, I don't want to say bullied, but like just not feeling like you're being heard um, is that like having other people stand up for you and have your back, like, is just such a comfort. And like, you know, these days, like people try to be like rugged individualists, but like the reality is that like humans are a community. Like we're built to support each other. We're built to like hold each other. Um, and you know, I, I mean, I'm fucking stronger than nails, but like I break down, I need help. Like I cry. And like, I think that not acknowledging that does you more harm in the long run. Like just knowing that like other people can give you strength and support and like feeling that is so powerful. Yeah. I think it's like making sure that there's space for that in the backcountry. Cause I don't know why, but mm-hmm shit you step into those masculine spaces and it's like feelings who i'm tough as shit bruh and it's like we just need to work on that as a culture um renee what are you going to say oh sorry no go go ahead tara i'm sorry i think i like make people i don't want to say i make them uncomfortable but like oh i make people 100 percent uncomfortable that's part of who i am I get like kind of touchy feely at the beginning of my avalanche classes i'm like listen like well and especially the last two years i'm like listen like whatever you have going on at home, like this is a heavy time. We're all bringing our weight and our trauma into the back country. Like, you know, I'm like starting and like, I can literally see some of like the people in my class being like, oh my God, is this a counseling session? Like, is she, and I'm like, yeah, you have no idea. Like you thought you signed up for an avalanche class, but really it's three days of therapy on skis. So here we go. <laughs> I honestly think to get people to go to therapy, that's that that might be a new innovation in yeah. product offering that we need. It's yeah. like avalanche course, psych. Oh, yeah. It's like this Terrible. is a therapist. <laughs> We have a line of therapists in the singles line, and every time you get on, one pops up with you, and you're yes. like, okay, Emo- tell me about your last run. What were you actually thinking about? Developing your emotional intelligence and processing your trauma should be a core aspect of Abby One. Like, let's go. Okay, like, I'm certified. Honestly, that would be really hot if it was like, yo, have you taken your Abby One? Yeah, I have. It's like, oh, yeah, tell me about how you're mentally stable and emotionally available. Let's go. It's like, that should be a prerequisite in dating. So I, like, make them tell the whole class, like, in the morning, like, where they're at emotionally. Like, it's some, like, I make them check in physically and emotionally. I'm, like, holding up my book as an example. But, like, I make them check, like, tell the group where they are physically and emotionally that day. I love it. 
Yeah. And so that comes from after I was diagnosed with PTSD, I was introduced to the responder stress scale, um, which is basically a color coded scale and it runs green, yellow, um, orange, red. And then there's black, which is um, like suicidal. Yeah. But um, long story short, like found out that it was just a good tool for like checking in with where people were anonymously. So like giving them this color scale and being like, Hey, like tell me. And so like, you can take a piece of paper and like throw it in a hat. So I know I've got two oranges, two greens and a red. Okay. I've got one person in this group who is highly like agitated emotionally. I have to be careful with that. Like, you know, and just kind of like taking that, uh, check beforehand i think like some patrols are doing it now you know they'll start it before avalanche routes and just like have people check in where they are on the color scale um it's really useful for when you're dealing with specific trauma for like checking in in time frames after i think that's a really good tip and especially for people who aren't ready to share yet it gives them a way to say that there might be something that they're carrying from their personal life or whatever that they don't have to share the details of it, but then their group members can know that like, this is where they're at and it's okay. And we'll, we'll t- accept you where you are or like, give you a, whatever accommodations you need for where you are. It still might require people speaking up on what they need, but mm-hmm. it like, gives you an opportunity to say, Hey, I'm not green today. I'm actually feeling kind of orange. It's like or, a safe word. Yeah. I've always wanted to use kumquat as a safe word. Have not had the chance yet. <laughs> but it is like a safe word. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, Renee, it, it, people who maybe aren't comfortable sharing like their feelings per se, they can share a color and just like know that we can relate to what that color means. Um, and that's a lot easier for people that aren't comfortable like spewing out their life story like me totally (laughs) I wanted to because we do have to wind down unfortunately I feel like I still have lots of questions I want to ask you but we're running out of time we might have to do part two because I was like oh man we're getting into so much juicy tea and I want to ask for some more hot tips so we might have to do part two really no worries stand by (laughs) um but I really just wanted to acknowledge you sharing your journey and the fact that you did speak out and that would have been very difficult for you to put yourself in that situation of being the one to carry that torch per se. And it it kind of puts you in an ostracizing position when you are the one doing it and there is nobody else standing up for you. But the flip side is, is that that paves the way for others to be treated better than you were. Mm -hmm. And so now those same systems where you had to speak up for yourself and still are continuing to speak up for yourself and speak up for others, they now will have a better understanding of where you're coming from or what injustices or inequalities existed there and how we can manage that or examine their their own biases towards it. And so the girls that are now going to come up and they want to be involved in snow science and they want to work on ski patrol, they might not have to deal with the shit that you and I did deal with as patrollers because that's my hope it's such a sweet job but there are a few not sweet things about it sometimes and i think that we can we can really get there yeah 
I mean, you know, that's, that's the hope. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I've definitely created enemies and I would do it again, you know, in a heartbeat. Like, I don't care. Like, I think it's one of those things where like, it is long past due. Like, and the fact that like, I, as a white privileged cishet woman am fighting these battles in 2022 is bullshit. Like this should be something of the past. And so, yeah, like I, you know, it makes me so happy when like women patrollers are like, I've never experienced any of that. I'm like, fuck yes. Like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like that makes me so happy because that was not my experience. Um, and, you know, like I said, I wouldn't change it, but it sure wasn't easy. It shouldn't be a rite of passage, right? No. Um, and then as we wind down, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to shout out any anything you want to shout out, plug, resources. This is your chance. Your two yeah. cats, your dog, your Instagram, mom, dad, like whatever you need to do. Yeah, totally. So my Instagram is Tara OC. Um, my main sponsor is Kari Tra. I think they've always been great. They are a female owned company based out of Norway. Um, so they've always been really wonderful and supportive. And then I do uh, work for ARI. So the American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education. Uh, and so feel free to look them up online. They've got a ton of classes all over the world and yeah, great avalanche providers. Can I just say one thing about the word airy? Yeah. Do you, I mean, American Eagle, it has to exist in the States. I swear I've been to American Eagles in the States. Yeah. If it doesn't, that's kind section, of fucked up. Their underwear like, section, like every time I hear that word, I'm like, the way it's pronounced sounds like how I would pronounce airy like the underwear section of oh, yeah. American Eagle. I'm yeah. Sorry. No, the only difference is the I and the E. They're like almost spelled the same too. It's great. Yeah. It, <laughs> I've like tried to think about snow, but also I'm like, hmm, sexy underwear. You're like, anyway. oh, snow safety, but thongs. Yeah. It's like I mean, all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. We started out talking about thongs. So and nobody's going to. I mean, they weren't here for that, but now they know that we talked about it off. Granny panties are great as you get older, guys. Okay, that's all you need to know. All right, bye. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Tara. This You're is great. Welcome. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs>